0: Pound, per, 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 pound, per,
1: per, pound. $6.99 per pound pound. Six ninety nine per pound. Pound. Ninety nine per pound. Ninety
0: nine per pound. Hey yo, it's six ninety
1: nine per pound podcast. Yo, welcome to six ninety nine per pound podcast, where we usually talk about careers, but we have shifted our focus to the very real impact of COVID nineteen on Asians in this country and around the world, actually. So we're gonna bring you perspectives of Asians. Asian Americans in different professions and places to give you a personal look at how this virus has been changing our everyday lives. So thank you to all the fans and listeners that continue to support us. Please subscribe to follow our future COVID-19 related episodes. Make sure you let your Zoom call know about $6.99. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, man, now you can support us by buying me and JoJo a $3 coffee at coffee.com slash 6 dollars per pound. But you can also still you can also still remember, you know, you know how I, you, you, you like the way I phrase that, right? Because if you <laughs> haven't been doing it, you know, you could do it now, or if it you, now. If, you uh, if you haven't done it yet, then you could start. You know what I'm saying? So um, you could start a monthly donation at Anchor.fm/slash six ninety nine per pound/slash support. If you don't know the URL, and you know, because of my pronunciation, accent, whatever it may be, just Google it. You know what I'm saying? Google is your best friend. You know, maybe Amazon, not so much, but Google is your best friend. With that said, um, we have another very special guest who is an expert uh, on a topic that I feel like is very appropriate in this current Mm -hmm. climate. Jojo, can you take it away?
0: Of course. We're so excited for this episode. Um, We're talking to Joy Lieberthal Rowe. Uh, she's a therapist and licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in Westchester, New York. All of you listeners know how much we've been wanting to talk about mental health and she seems like the perfect person to really dive into it today. Many of her clients actually identify as Asian American women, um, which is going to be super important as we uh, go along the recording because they're actually the most acceptable to mental health issues in America. Um, in addition to all of that, she's also been involved in the adoption community for over 20 years and worked with domestic violence survivors. She also, man, you're too accomplished, Joy. (laughs) She also works as a counselor for the Juilliard School and co-directs Sejong Camp, a culture camp for Korean adoptees and American-born Korean children. And she's here to talk about mental health with the rise of racism against Asians and the Asian Americans in America. So please welcome Joy. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, So before we dive into everything. Um. How are you doing? You know, where are you and what's going on? Uh, physically, right now, I'm in my closet,
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, trying to be as quiet as I can. Um, but I am up in Westchester and mm-hmm. uh, physically doing well. Uh, we're okay. Wow. We comply so you do by, love by the all Westchester. the Westchester. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I made that comment
1: about Westchester. Not even thinking, and you do live in Westchester. Yeah. I'm sorry. Wow. I, didn't, I did not. I did not uh, make that comment um, to undermine anything mm. that you're doing. By no means. I, I, the, uh, the first example that I could think of, like you know, like well-to-do families in New York state was Westchester. So, you know, wait,
0: just to fill everyone in, Jakey, can Mm -hmm. you tell the listeners what you said? So, you know, right before,
1: (laughs) right before we started recording, um, you know, I was talking about how, um, you know, a lot of people of color, especially in parts of New York city, uh, doesn't have Mm -hmm. access to therapy, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. um, compared to like, you know, a privileged white, person you know that might have access to therapy in westchester and Uh um, come to find out joy actually lives in westchester so uh and you you know much love to uh yeah much love to westchester though you know
2: yeah definitely yeah yeah. Yeah. but um yeah our family is okay um we've complied by all of their rules and homeschooling and doing everything working from home so um Mm -hmm. yeah we're blessed we're okay so far thanks for asking of course and sure
0: How have you been checking in with your current clients? Just, you know, is it through a call now? Is it through Mm -hmm. Zoom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I use Zoom platform. Um, I've used it for a long time.
2: Uh, So, you know, when you go into the doctor's office, you have to fill out a HIPAA compliance. I don't know if last time you've been to a doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zoom does have a HIPAA Mm -hmm. compliant platform. So that's what I use. And um, so I've been seeing all of my clients and all of my students virtually. Mm -hmm. And um, the nice thing about being virtual is it's not an actual office. So I get to talk to people all over right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the regulations for mental health professionals have been loosened, whereby we can still continue the services that we were providing for our students, um, even if they're not necessarily still in New York. So I'm very grateful that I can have what we call continuity of services for the students that I serve So, that this aspect of their life is still ongoing for them.
1: Got you. Mm. Got you. Now, so, I mean, it it sounds like JoJo has a a better understanding of therapy. And, um, you know, uh, like the only observation that I've ever had of therapists is through like TV, like in The Mm -hmm. Sopranos or something, you know what (laughs) I mean? Like, (laughs) where they're on the
0: couch lying there. Yeah.
1: So, Mm -hmm. um, like, at least from what I heard is that you have a lot of Asian clients with with the current climate right now. Have you noticed like a new level of fear, stress, anxiety about hate crimes being committed toward Asian-Americans? Um, and what are those conversations like?
2: I mean, I think the best way I can explain it is by giving you a story. Um, and I talked to your producer earlier about this. Um, I think, you know, when you interviewed Ivy, she was talking about the mask. Mm -hmm. And I think the mask has become very emblematic of uh, COVID, as well as our perceptions of Asia. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're thinking about the cultural difference with wearing a mask. In Asia, it's actually considered polite to be wearing a mask so that you're not infecting others and that you're not making others sick. But -hmm. in this country, we don't walk around wearing masks. And so I've had students who are Asian or Asian-American saying, I really want to go for a walk. I want to go take the train, but I don't want to wear a mask because I don't want to get punched. Mm-hmm. i don't want to get hit i don't want to be ostracized or have somebody say something to me um so the fear is very real um and i i think that uh the cumulative story is that there is something different about having the faces that we have right now with this particular pandemic mm-hmm. yeah. mm,
1: no nah, definitely i i feel like i mean even personally um I never felt intimidated riding the train by any means, but, uh, I I think after I started hearing all these reports about Asian Americans getting targeted, um, as soon as I got on the train, I mean, this is also like a month and a half ago before this whole social distancing and mandated quarantining really started. Uh, I kind of like started being a lot more observant about, about my environment and, Mm -hmm. um, you know when my girl you know she, her family's still out in Korea so when um she insisted on wearing masks and you know as she was going to work I was like nah you ain't go you ain't going to work by yourself I'm, I'm gonna make sure that you get to work you know safely you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. so yeah like there was definitely like the sense uh uh and and I feel like now a lot of those um the same pundits that were making commentaries on TV um two months ago saying oh you don't need to wear a mask and yada 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 ah, 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 you know now they're kind of retracting on that because now it's there like a shortage of masks and people can't get enough masks. you know because I mean? mm-hmm. you know like the same people that were saying like oh you don't have to wear a mask is like nah like you should have mm-hmm. like encouraged mm-hmm. people to wear masks from the very beginning you know um yeah. but yeah. but with all that said like, just, yeah yeah now nah, mm-hmm. please go ahead go ahead
2: no and, and even if it's um it, even people who have lived their entire lives here have gone yeah. through uh, living in the United States relatively unremarkable as far as discrimination or harassment mm-hmm. um, Is are, are suddenly alert, much more mm-hmm. awake. Um, that level of alertness has definitely uh, hit a nerve with a lot of the people that I've talked to, mm-hmm. both anecdotally with my friends as well as uh, my clients. And... Um, you know, some have even pressed charges on co workers and colleagues mm-hmm. who have mm-hmm. made inappropriate remarks or have made gestures scurrying away because you coughed or you sneezed. Um, and those are incidences that I think, you know, a sneeze you really can't control. Um, and if you don't, if you haven't been to China and you don't um, travel anywhere and you just sneeze, yeah. you don't really think about oh, I look a certain kind of way and I've sneezed, mm-hmm. therefore everyone else will dissipate.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: that kind of cause and effect has was pretty dramatic uh, for some of the clients that I've talked to. Um, and I think that was very alarming and uh, very, um, you know, I think a lot of times we intellectually understand we are uh, people of color and intellectually understand that we are a minority in this uh, society. But I think some people have been much more awake to it in real time now than maybe yeah. they had ever done in their life.
0: So when you know, a client talks about these anxieties and their fears, like what is your, the first step or how do you approach these conversations with them?
2: I mean, I think with any, any client who comes in with any presenting issue, you let them talk mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and you listen. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the art of therapy is to be a good listener, to yeah. be an attentive listener. So you, there's a lot of empathy, a lot of validation, giving space and pause to our clients so that they can feel their full range of emotions and be able to fully, um, be present to the story that they need to share with you. Um, oftentimes it's the first time that they're Actually, creating a narrative around the feelings that they've been keeping inside and holding on to. Um, and so, really, my job is just to pay attention and to listen.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So, what can, so when clients open up to you about maybe something that actually happened, you know, if they were physically or just verbally, you know, uh, you know, discriminate Harassed. against or mm-hmm. harass. Um, yeah. You know, how much as a therapist or a social worker can you step in and prescribe next steps? And, and do you have advice for people who may have kind of gone through that in the way? Yeah.
2: So, I mean, first you have to know if your client is somebody who uh, just needs to share the story and mm. be affirmed and have a safe space where they can do that. And others are saying, no, I, I actually need to do something about this. Um, and I think it's important that we talk about it, and not just in the privacy of our clinical office, but if they have um, the drive to be able to tell their boss or their colleague or um, even go so far as to file a complaint with the police um, and to report it to an authority, air their grievance, file a complaint, um, document it. Then my job is to be able to support them in that decision. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Well, number one, I love you. you keep um, repeating validation, which is such an awesome word. Um, I think a lot of, and you know, this is a universal feeling of you know feeling invalidated. But I think especially amongst the Asian American community, or um, in in you know the Asian community, mental health is still a stigma. And I think there is the tendency um, for us to kind of invalidate our feelings. Um, I remember growing up and it's so funny when I share this story because I thought I was special. But then all my Asian friends would say, this happened to me, too, where, you know, I would like start crying or something because I felt like an injustice as a child. And my mom was like, you know, why are you crying? You know, what 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 did you do? So you, d- you feel like you deserve to cry. Like, did something really happen to you? You're really crying right now. And I was like, so shocked. And I like t- told my friends were like, oh my God, that totally happened to me. And I was like, oh, it's like these Asian parents, they were, they were all in the coalition together and discussing this, <laughs> of being like, this is how you gaslight your children. <laughs> right. um, But I, I think I, I feel so seen when you say, you know, validated, because I think it took a really long time for me personally, also to feel, you know, validated and to validate my feelings. And because I was kind of robbed of that process since I was such a young age. And, you know, Jakey, you, you're totally spot on. So I have um done therapy before. um And it was through my company and it was offered, and they had their kind of in house uh, therapist. And I was really, really excited about her because she was very, um, had a lot of experience. She um, consulted for really, really uh, top tier publications and was experienced in executive coaching. And I was like, oh my gosh, what an honor! Like, I'm definitely jumping on this opportunity. And, and I did my, you know, therapy session with her. And she asked me at one point during our um, kind of the way we were getting to know each other. She was like, yeah, so you're from China, right? Oh, my. <laughs> I'm sure you're like cringing right now to being like, Ooh. totally. My but, face just got hot. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was just kind of enamored by her, you know, resume. I was like, she's a professional; she knows what she's doing. And I was like, maybe, you know, it's a common mistake. You know, she's older, and and I was like, wait, I'm invalidating myself again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, pretty shocking. And yeah. um, obviously, you know, this this woman was white; she wasn't Asian. And it really hit home to me when my friend said, you know, you should really try to find someone who lived through your experience, like even if like the methods or the means are the same you just cut so many um, steps when someone can just automatically speak your language as you can say right Um, right
2: I like the word code switching actually
0: yeah Um, for sure yeah, yeah yeah there's like that less need to do that when you're with someone that you feel like you're comfortable with right
2: I mean, I think there's, right, you know, you, we were talking earlier before we got on tape about uh, um not being in the same room together and could mm-hmm. we be able to have this conversation. And I was, you know, remarking about, you know, when we lose one of our senses, all the other senses kind of waken up even more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the therapy room, when you are with a therapist, there is something incredibly powerful about the racial and the gender mirror that you get when mm-hmm. somebody looks... um like someone who has lived a life that is similar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that a therapist who doesn't is not quali- well qualified and and capable of um, doing the work with you to to your own self discovery. But I think as an Asian American woman who has been in this room for a while, I I can appreciate the um, the code switching, the the the, the ease, mm-hmm. the um, unspoken understanding at times that feels more fluid um than otherwise yeah mm-hmm. absolutely
0: yeah
1: so i kind of wanted to just kind of get a sense of like uh a difference between like a licensed social worker and a therapist yeah. and like okay. how do these roles like converge mm. for someone like you right
2: right so um my Professional, I mean, sorry, my education is that I got my master's in social work. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a master's of science degree, and some people will get a master's in psychology. Some people will get a PsyD. Somebody will get, um, will pr- go on and get a, their PhD, um, in psychology. So these are different letters after our name, which basically tells you the kind of education we went through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my social work degree actually, uh, is, I kind of came through the back door it, to be a therapist. Actually, I, I went to social work school to do more community organizing and policy work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then realized, um, all my off hours was doing listening, <laughs> listening to mm-hmm. people's stories. Um, and I then got, t- uh, supervised by an Asian American woman who is a therapist, who is a psych, uh, a psych. Uh, I think she's a social worker and also a PhD. And um, you know, put in the hours. It took six mm-hmm. years for me to get my R certification and my license in order to be a private clinician. Um, and that was just my path. Uh, other mm. people do it differently. Some people will go to an institute for two to four years um, to get further training in either psych- psychology or psychoanalysis. Um, so w- the education process uh, looks slightly different, but... Um, I think that that's one of the ways in which I know you'll probably ask me this later. Like, <laughs> what do you do when you find a therapist? Um, you ask them. You know, what was your education? What is your approach? Um, uh, how how, do, how does your degree inform the kind of work that you do um, as a social worker? You know, some of the times I wear two kinds of hats. As a social worker, I would want to be able to advocate for my clients or encourage them to advocate for themselves in ways like filing a complaint or getting them access to services outside of the therapy room. Um, And, or, um, you know, help them navigate a a social welfare system. Uh, And a lot of times social workers are more... um, a lot of our training is involved in accessing social services and and understanding um, the different systems in our state and our, in our government to be able to um, support different families that are, are marginalized or need additional care beyond just clinical counseling.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about how a lot of your clients are of Asian descent. And when you go out, like, how did that happen? Right. Because obviously it's not a coincidence or maybe it is, Um, you know, how much of it is like your uh, personal outreach, but also how much of that is people reaching out to you because they see you um, and maybe feel like they can connect with you in a different level.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think word of mouth is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first entree into doing uh, direct clinical practice was through the adoption community. So most of the clients that I was seeing were uh, Korean Chinese adoptees uh, who are being raised in predominantly Caucasian white families. Um, so that was a built-in niche if you will of my professional identity um i had done a lot of public speaking earlier on in my career and so you know by word of mouth people say oh this this is someone who is knowledgeable about this particular subject matter
1: obviously as we all know um therapy or speaking out your emotions uh in in the form of a clinical sense is not something that is common uh yet in the asian american mm-hmm. community yeah. um with that said uh you know like there's certain data out there that uh um there's there's a lot of data out there that um depression and um the the suicidal rate is specifically high um in certain parts of like uh korean american communities uh i don't know if these numbers are uh completely true because i don't have the data in front of me but at least that's kind of what i've been you know hearing and just you know reading about it throughout the years and uh uh having said that like what were what what are some of your observations about like you
0: mm-hmm. know why is
1: that and um,
0: yeah.
1: obviously when it comes down to um, expressing emotions like you know it, there there's many factors right it can't just be just one single monolithic reason like yo it's because you know that's why the way you are, you are. You know, everybody has their own problems. But you know, if, if do you see like a trend where do you see something that is kind of commonplace for a lot of these people?
2: Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be pretty intentional in how I answer this because I don't know all the numbers. So mm, of um, mm-hmm. I didn't come prepared with numbers. I apologize. No, um, no, not at all. But and, you know, on a on a the week so yeah, um So on on a you know kind of big umbrella. F- um, uh, outlook, you know, I think f- immigrants in general are coming uh, to the United States, running away from something, right, or trying to escape something. And so there's a lot of intergenerational trauma that happens within first, second, third generation Asian American families. Um, and if there's no opportunity to be able to share that Experience intergenerationally, it goes somewhere. It, you know, I if you if you watch children, right? Children may not be able to talk about how they feel, but they will show you through their play. Mm-hmm. If an adult who doesn't have the vocabulary to be able to share with you what they experienced, it will come out in a different kind of way. You know, we often talk about like how we feel come come out sideways, right? Mm-hmm. It'll come out in the way behave in the way we tolerate uh, or not tolerate certain behaviors or certain. Tones in speech, sound, senses, um, and I think that uh, as a as a rule, how do you feel is not something that comes out very easily or with a relative number, uh, relative ease, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just. When you see somebody, when you walk into a Korean home, the first thing they ask is, "Are you hungry?" Mm-hmm. Not how do you feel? <laughs> you know, yeah. How, how was your day? Did you right? <laughs> Did you eat? Right? It's a very primal uh, sense, if you will. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I think it's interesting what we don't say within our uh, in our within our um, own cultural context. Um, so there's really. A cross-generational impasse, too. So if you've been born and raised in America where you're, you're going to be raised in American society where you raise your hand and you express yourself and um, you can express whether you're pleased with something or not pleased with something, but your parents were not raised in this society where you can do that, um, there isn't going to be a whole lot of opportunity for conversation. Right. And so if we're being led by our elders and our elders don't have that vocabulary, then how are we cultivating that vocabulary? And if we absorb the vocabulary that is considered Western or American, Mm -hmm. that could be an anathema to our parents or our grandparents. Right? Yeah, And so then they're looking at, well, you're being quite mouthy. That must be because you were raised in America, mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessarily because you've absorbed something that's actually quite healthy is to be able to express how you feel about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's through that lens that can either feel m- further alienating from your cultural identity and from your parents in a way. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I'm answering your question. No, no, absolutely, you right? are, you are
1: definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so with that said, like, what what are some of the um? is there like a common thread in terms of like the problems that a lot of Asian Americans face that express to you in, in a lot of these sessions?
2: Well, the reality is, is that you don't come to therapy because you feel good. Mm-hmm. You come to therapy because something is bothering you. Yeah. You need to work something out. Um, and that's not exclusive to the Asian American community at all. But I often find that I need to give more bandwidth, a little bit more space, a little bit more time uh, for my Asian American and Asian students to be able to come to a place where they could feel like they can be vulnerable. So that sense of like some people will use it pride or their own protective mechanism, I call it their resiliency, um, their, their their framework that they've had to create and cultivate um, in order to survive and to thrive, um, there comes a time where that's hard, and it's hard to sustain. And so um, they'll come to therapy because they don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't always know why they don't feel good. Um, and sometimes it'll come out in physical manifestations of my stomach hurts all the time or I can't sleep. Um, And then other times it'll be, you know, true sorrow and not being able to express that uh, in any other context. Um, Oftentimes I get, I never cry. And here I am crying my eyes out for the last Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. Um, So uh, I think it's a very general answer to kind of describe what I think a lot of people go to therapy for, um, it, it, to be able to figure out, um, how to make sense of the feelings that they don't really understand or to figure out a situation that they're in and they don't know how to get or make sense of those, that situation, um, and oftentimes, and most of the time, it's really about the relationships they have, either their intimate partners or their children or their parents or their friends. Um, I often joke with my Juilliard students that like, we don't really talk about why they're at Juilliard. We talk about who they love, who they want to love, who they want to be loved by. I would talk a lot about relationships. Um, and I think it, it also relationship to yourself, right? And being able to understand what motivates you inside um, and be able to come to an understanding of a
0: whole self.
1: Mm, I see. I see. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with. Go ahead, Jojo.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we before we move on, I, I wanted to just share, you know, for any listener who's kind of contemplating on reaching out to a therapist I think for me it had to get to the physical level for me to seek out a therapist like I almost was like I was googling like what to do when you know all these symptoms show right when I'm feeling anxious I knew exactly what it was but I just didn't I wanted to do everything but therapy because it felt like such a privileged thing That's something that my parents never had access to. And it almost felt like, and I think I was in like the, I just kind of refused to be in the thrive mode, you know, as you kind of alluded to versus surviving versus thriving. And I was like, I'm going to spend money on the gym because it shows that, you know, when you run, like, you know, maybe my chemical imbalances will change. You know, I was, you know, trying to eat better, not drink and trying every single way except therapy to get through my problems and, when it became so clear after I check every single bullet that it wasn't gonna happen for me, I decided to do therapy. And I guess like, you know, I really just wanted to emphasize this point for all our listeners. It's you deserve to feel good, right? You deserve to be happy. And this is not you being luxurious <laughs> or, you know, this is not you spoiling yourself. You know, this is you, you know, being Having an imbalance in your body and seeking out a professional to walk them through. So, yeah, I just wanted to take this opportunity just to say that very quickly. Um, and I don't know if you have any experience dealing with that too, Joy, of, you know, you clients who feel like, oh my gosh, am I even, you know, do I, even, am I even allowed to be here? Are my problems that bad?
2: Right, right. There must be something really wrong with me right? Um, I have a really good colleague of mine who had used the word witness, right? Back to the word validation, right? A- a- sometimes what we need is a witness, someone to bear witness on our life and say, yes, I see you. I see how hard you're working. I see how you are suffering. I see your pain. I see your accomplishments. I see your work. Mm-hmm. I see, right? I-, I think that that idea of bearing witness Um, Shoot, even Joy Luck Club says it at the end. (laughs) I see (laughs) you, right? Mm -hmm. That idea of being seen
0: is a
2: very powerful experience.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. And I I think, you know, we wanted to bring you on, especially because especially during this time when you know people who maybe don't even feel anxious usually might have recently developed this feeling and don't know what how how to make sense of it you know jakey talked about how he had to lay some people off today you know Mm. and that's just something that you don't go through every single day right both from that person's perspective and jakey's perspective
2: i'm sure mm -hmm. yeah absolutely
1: yeah yeah yeah. um Nah, it's, I I think the economic impact of what's happening, um, you know, that's going to be, uh, it's, it's, it's only the beginning of anything, um, the aftermath of what's going to happen because of what's this, this whole COVID-19 crisis, um, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be massive and, um, more so than ever, I feel like people are going to need therapy, right. Um, to kind of, uh to kind of control their emotions and figure out what the next steps are um, to better themselves. But, uh, you know, but also like, because we were talking about our identity as Asian Americans um, I'm curious to know, like, you know, I know Jojo touched upon this before and um, there's a lot of hate crimes that are being reported. So I think, you know, in this moment where we are on edge um, as a therapist, like what are some like, Advices or recommendations or any form of practices that you feel like people could do to uh, better themselves mentally, um, you know, and really just kind of prep themselves yeah. in this environment? I,
2: yeah, right. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, you, you had prepared me to kind of, um, come up with three tips that people can do to ease their fears and anxieties. First and foremost, can we just say there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety out mm-hmm, there? Um, sure. it's, it's an odd anxiety as well. For some of us, we have done the social isolating. And so all we have is the news, the mm-hmm. other, right? We earlier, we were talking about the sirens that you're hearing outside of your rooms in Brooklyn. Um, so there, there's this disconnect. Connective, the other that's happening, but immediately I'm okay. My loved ones might be okay. But then that fear of anticipation of when will that thing that's out there hit us, penetrate through to us Right. And -hmm. then for others who are living it on the front line every single day, um, what parts of them do they have to shut down in order to be able to keep going through each day? And for those who are really suffering with all of the symptoms of COVID-19 physically and in real time, to be able to take a breath and to be able to stay in their body and um And and live. Right. So when I was thinking about the tips that you were um, asking me to prepare, the first one is really to take care of your body, Mm -hmm. Uh, feed it, let it rest, move Mm -hmm. it, touch it, Um, really acknowledge that, you know, your body is important and the health of your body is important um and uh, Bessel Kolk is a world-renowned specialist in trauma and um he did a webinar a couple of weeks or last week and you know one of the things he said was regularity and a schedule is really important because right now the days are kind of bleeding one day into the next I was joking like is today Sunday or is tomorrow Sunday you know <laughs> um and, you know, to create a calendar even for yourself, yeah. not just of like a schedule of I'm going to shower at this time and exercise at this time, but also schedule out virtual happy hours, schedule who you want to call on what day and what time so that you can anticipate a smiling face on the other side of your grandparents or somebody, a, a friend, or um, if you if you can't be near your boyfriend or girlfriend um, out there somewhere Um So to schedule times that you can actually look forward to, um, that marking of time is really important. Um, And then I think the third thing that's really important is to be not afraid to ask for something. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, kind of in line with number two is saying to people, like, um, I'm checking in on you and can you... Send me a text on Friday just to see how I'm doing. This idea of understanding that we're all connected. And when we think about somebody else and think about thinking about somebody else, it often eases some of that inner anxiety. If you're only thinking about, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get sick. um sometimes thinking about somebody else and saying like, no, I need to call my aunt on Friday. It allows you to think about somebody else and kind of put a little bit of distance between you and your anxiety and your fear at that moment. Um, So, and I think we all want to be wanted, right? So reaching out and then also asking others to reach out to you as well is really important.
0: Uh, uh. Yeah. And, for, I guess, like another piece of advice that might be useful for some of our listeners who are Asian and who are kind of going through this anxious thoughts about like, oh, my gosh, like, should I wear a mask? Should I not? Um, all those kind of things that you've alluded to with some of your clients, like, are there certain things that they can do before they step outside, you know, compose themselves, you know, to help them, you know, be more courageous and, you know, Going out because you know, taking walks and um, there's essential things that you need and it you, you can't, you know, as much as like we wanted to stay inside, there are times where they we'll really have to face their fears. Like what are some of your advice in that?
2: I mean, I think this is, it's, it's so interesting. Um, before COVID-19 really hit its stride, mm-hmm. we were always worried that we're all like immersed in our phones and mm-hmm. in our own yeah. little worlds, right? And in this time where we're forced to be isolated, the one mm-hmm. thing that our human nature is doing is seeking community. Mm-hmm. And so even if you feel like shit, I'm the only one that feels, <laughs> I'm sorry, am I allowed to curse? I yeah, yeah. You're, um, you're am yeah. yeah. the <laughs> only <laughs> one <laughs> <much> allowed. To- <laughs> I am the only one feeling this way. Mm -hmm. is when you say, wait a minute, who can I call, right? I had one student, it was really great. You know, he was afraid to go out, but what he did was he kind of marked the blocks that he needed to walk Mm -hmm. and he knew somebody else lived three blocks away. Mm -hmm. So he contacted that person and said, I'm coming out and I'm gonna meet you. They did their social distancing six feet apart and they just Mm -hmm. walked from that block back to his apartment. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, this is the time where um even in this time of social isolation, there is an opportunity to find community. And um, if you can't find your community as like a physical person that you can walk to, then you can use your phone and you can FaceTime with somebody and say, I'm going to be going to the laundromat and I'm a little bit nervous to walk by myself. Can I FaceTime you while I'm there?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and this way you have someone who's witnessing you do life right now mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Yeah um
1: yeah or awesome. or just carry your weapon with you at all at all, time. <laughs> <laughs> no, um no, jakey no,
2: no. said that i did J-K-J- not joy did
1: not joy did not say that um but um now with that said though uh you know as someone uh you know we we uh we we read that uh you work with a lot about adoptees um
0: Yes, and you're an adoptee yourself, right? And, and, I am. Yes, mm-hmm. and you are
1: an adoptee yourself, and um, you know, it might be hard for people to speak to their um, parents about their fears uh, right now, right? Because there's a little bit of a disconnect. I don't know, maybe the adoptive parents they're not of Asian descent, and uh, the same, does you know, the same, the same thing could go for mixed race couples, mixed race families, um, so on and so forth. So, what advice would you be able to give? for an Asian person trying to start a conversation with a, a non-Asian person who is close to them.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and just before that, I want to share an mm-hmm. anecdote. Like, um, oh, yes. Because, so you know, there's been talks about how why it's problematic to call this the China virus. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a friend who was struggling to explain to her boyfriend, she's you know, of Chinese descent, and he's white. And he mm-hmm. was like, what's wrong with that? it is from China. And he's like, didn't we call the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu? And mm-hmm. he kind of wasn't, um, empath- he didn't see it from her point of view or empathize like why that could have a, a negative social impact and how you know she could potentially be treated or her parents could be treated because of this. So you know that was an anecdote that I wanted to share because where, you know, where, I don't want to
1: say- How's she looking though?
0: Um, so she, she's uh, she, mixed, she she's did, mixed did, race. She...
1: Oh or does she need a does she need a new Mando?
0: <laughs> hey, you're taking two, Jakey. <laughs>
1: just asking. Just asking for the community, you know.
0: That's true, uh-huh. that's true. You have a lot of single Asian boyfriends, so you know maybe they can do mm-hmm. a Zoom day. Who knows? But yeah, I would love to know, like, how do you even navigate, you know, that conversation, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think Okay, so my little like soapbox speech that I got to do before all of this Mm -hmm. is we Mm -hmm. have to stop laying the responsibility of educating and forming what it's like to be us always at our own feet. Right. Mm. Um, The responsibility should never be just your your friend. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is if she has the courage to keep persevering in this relationship, that this has to be an open conversation. Yeah. But I think more specifically to what that in situation kind of brings to mind for me, and in, in addition to you know having these conversations across racial lines, is really to speak from your personhood of, I, this is how I feel. This is what it makes me feel like. Because it is harder to invalidate somebody when you say, well, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Right, um, you, somebody else is going to say no. You don't feel that way. Um, so I think it's really important to not necessarily over intellectualize the conversation, but really bring it down to the the gut level of saying this is actually making me unsafe.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. When people assume this is the China virus for these particular reasons, right? Mm-hmm. One, I'm not from that country. Or two, this is not necessarily exclusive to China. This is, this is unsafe. Using words of safety wakes people up a little differently than saying you hurt my feelings or that's not how it is, right? Um, and I think that there is a level of empathy that we do require of people who have chosen to love us as we are. And so that acknowledgement of, please recognize that our lived experience is different than yours, that is a really hard conversation. It continues to be hard, and I'm kind of sad to say after almost 30 years working in the adoption community, it's still really hard to wake up some of our parents and our loved ones to understand that our lived experience in this country is vastly different from theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, so this idea that like, well, I just love you and that should be enough is just a fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when we can bring it to that very basic level, um, you're challenging the non-Asian person to really understand or to wrap their head around the idea of personal safety. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's hard. When you are in the majority and when you have um, walked through your life never really challenged by the way you look, um, and often having privilege in ways that you never anticipated or asked for. And the explaining aspect of it is the exhausting aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I often say, you know, when somebody asks me a question or says a racist remark, it's not the first time I've heard it yeah it's probably the 10,000th time that I've heard it Mm -hmm. and you know it's like death by a thousand paper cuts it's (laughs) enough already right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and when you get to that critical mass is when it becomes really traumatic um and so there's this gaslighting effect of like this isn't you know I love you this isn't what I'm doing, but by not acknowledging that your lived experience is different than mine, that's gaslighting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm, gaslighting. That's how you use that word, okay? I, I never, <laughs> I never heard that word being used in a sentence.
0: You're probably uh, the gaslighter then. Just kidding. Yeah, I probably <laughs> am.
1: I, I oh, probably God. am. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I think uh, maybe the last thing could be if someone, you know, after hearing this episode is interested in, you know, embarking on a journey of finding a therapist, right? Um, it's not so much easy as yelping something. So do you have some tips in navigating that to finding somebody? Cause I'm sure it's pretty much like dating, you know, finding your yes. therapist, finding your person.
2: Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I a mean, good point. You know, it is a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for, for instance,
1: like I've never had a, uh, I've never done a therapy session and, um, you know, but I understand the importance of it. It is the, uh, exercising of your mind and your soul. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, and, mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's, but, but because it is that it's not just like, okay, like I cut my hand, so I need to get it reattached. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more cerebral than that. So, um, uh, would be interested to hear your thoughts, joy on, um, what is like your recommended process?
2: Yeah. So, um, Actually, I did a little homework on this. Um, Mm. So I think the first thing is actually to ask others who are in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ask others, right? If it, you know, don't be afraid to ask, like, are you seeing a therapist? Would you recommend your therapist? Could I have a conversation with that therapist? Mm. Um, I think that's number one. Number two, I think you need to be honest about your finances as well, which Mm. just seems like such a difference of um you know it's not a natural thing to think about but um you know go through your insurance company if you um have insurance and are able to access a network of therapists or counselors in network um so cost is always important when it comes to this because like jojo said like this is not a privilege but it is something that is of value Mm -hmm. and so that comes with a price. And so to be really honest about what you can afford and what kind of different ways you could access this kind of support. Um, number three is to really go in with the uh, uh, mindset that this is work. Yeah. Um, I, I often say uh, a therapist is not a mudam. We cannot read your mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh. And we're not here to fix you. This is a conversation about you examining. Being curious and trying fi- trying to find ways to feel differently about the way you feel, the way you see the world, and the way you want to be. Um, and then also, try it out, right? Um, don't go with the first referral you get. Don't go with the first therapist you talk to and say, okay, this is it. Um, ask questions. What is your approach? Um, what are the issues you feel most comfortable talking about? Um, what is the constellation of your practice who do you serve so that you get a sense of the kind of conversations this therapist is having um so you know really look at this from a perspective of trying to find somebody that you can be in a comfortable conversation with Mm
0: -hmm. but be willing to be
2: challenged it is work Yeah. yeah
0: And on, and this is my um, personal question. So, yes. when do you kind of have a, a script maybe on approaching the finance subject? Because I guess, like, maybe from um, the therapist or the perspective, you know, they get this question all the time. So they're casual about it. But I think, like, maybe for someone who's never done it, like, as it for me, I'm always like, oh, like, I don't want to be rude. Like, how forthcoming do I? be about how much i can afford and do i wait for them to tell me or should Mm. i just be honest because i don't want them to just like say no to me um what is your advice (laughs) yeah i mean i think being straightforward
2: is what is your fee Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it's a fee that you kind of gasp at, then you say, do you offer a sliding scale or mm-hmm. do you accept insurance or do you accept out of network insurance? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're very comfortable having this conversation. I will say I wasn't comfortable with it 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. I've gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, money is hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know to be very realistic and and if it comes to a place where you're saying like I don't know if I can afford to see you every week would you be would you be open to me coming once every two weeks mm-hmm. and they would be able to say well you know, not maybe not in the beginning, but we could work our way to that, you know, so this is a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I have
2: a really good colleague, um, and dear friend of mine, and she says, um, you know, use the Quaker approach, right? Mm. You think about it, you think about what you can afford, and I'll think about what I could accept. And then when we come back, we have a conversation.
0: hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm I'm gonna yeah. write that in my back pocket now. <laughs> um but Joy, seriously, this has been such a blessing. Um oh, I'm so everything glad you that... say. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, Esther Perel move out the way because Joy Rowe is here. Oh no, <laughs> do not even put me in the same sentence with the master. No oh, way. my gosh, I'm like, I just got a master class. What's happening? But this has uh, been so lovely. awesome. Seriously, oh, and I think thank you our- so much. Of course. And I think our community really needed to hear this, especially during this time. Um, you know, to feel acknowledged, validated, you know, all the words that you surfaced today. I think this is something that everyone should be doing um every single day, especially during these hard times. So thank you. Um Yeah, and before we wrap all of this up, we do have some questions that we ask all our guests and the first one is, what is your most significant relationship? And it doesn't have to be limited to, you know, romantic or family. Some people have said books. You know, our first guest mm. actually actually said his therapist. So you mm, can get creative with this question. Yeah. So I had trouble with this one, actually. <laughs> because You're there's like, so many significant... Gonna hurt? Yeah.
2: <laughs> but... Um, You know, because of this particular community, this particular podcast and the audience that you have, I'm going to be very intentional with my answer. My most one of my most significant relationships is my relationship to the Korean American community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I often have said as an adoptee, everything I learned about being Korean, I found out in a book. Mm -hmm. And then I lived in Korea. And then I'm trying to master the language. And then I'm trying to negotiate relationships in Korean and in English. And as I've gotten older, the the code switching is more seamless. The effort to understand the flow of language is easier. But I have this insane love affair with the Korean American community in a way that I always am seeking better understanding of it, finding my place in it. Um, Seeking validation from it, frankly, and being accepted by them as well.
1: Mm, mm, That's that's deep. And um, also uh, a second question that we ask all of our guests are, what is your personal mantra?
2: That's easy. My personal mantra is how do I pay it forward?
0: Mm.
1: Mm. So, um, I mean, so with that said, uh, uh, Jojo, is there anything else that you would like to add?
0: No, I think this is such an awesome episode and I can't wait Mm.
1: for it to come out. (laughs) For sure. Likewise. And um, Joy, uh, did we miss out on anything? Is there anything else that you would like to add?
2: Mm, No. Um, I like the tangents we went on. It was great. Yeah.
1: Mm. Got you. Got you. That's amazing. So, uh, I mean, so with that said, uh, Joy, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Where can people find you and uh, connect with you?
2: um hmm i'm not i don't have a very big social media presence i am
0: on facebook i guess but.
1: <laughs> got you, got you. you're you.
0: gonna get um, these like random requests
1: <laughs> but, but Where can, can um, contact
0: where, you guys
2: and then where, you can where, tell where, me <laughs> where,
1: where can uh where can people find um find out uh like you, you know where, where can people read about you you know what are some of yeah. the what are some uh, what are some points where uh people and the listeners can um do a little bit more research or get in touch with yeah,
2: you. Yeah, so. In a right, way. I guess the two. You know I mean? Right, we're in not a more gonna we're not going to give
1: out her mm-hmm. number by any means. <laughs> <laughs> please, don't, uh,
2: please don't. Yeah, I mean, one one way would be through my uh, an organization I have online called IAMAdoptee.org. Mm. Um, we are trying to be an online resource for international adoptees. And uh, so you can get, find me through there or through Sejong Camp, SejongUSA.org those would be two places that probably you could
0: connect.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I mean, again, thank you joy uh, for joining us and um, sharing your knowledge and um, blessing us with all this insight. Um, So with that said, I just want to give a, a, you know, one last thing, one last point about therapy, you know, it is a exercise of the mind and um, especially people Within communities of color, uh, more so than ever, I feel like should have more therapists that come from that background and um, and have more patients. Where I I don't know if patient is the right word. Uh, is is mm. it the right word in therapy, or is it like how do how do you describe
2: the person we serve? Yeah, yeah. Some people call patients, but I call them clients, clients because I, I, I'm got not you. a doctor. So got yeah, you,
1: got you. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. Um, I think more so than ever, you need more, um, you know, uh, patients uh, or patients or however you want to call it, um, that uh, receive therapy at this very moment. So, I'd like to give uh, uh, much love to Joy for uh, showing us and when detail about everything that goes on um, in her world. And um, remember, you can stream this podcast on all major streaming platforms. If you want to show some love, hit the subscribe button right now and then tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, Most importantly, rate and share this podcast with your entire network. You know what I'm saying? And um, follow us at 6.99 per pound podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for the latest updates. Again, you could buy Jojo and I a $3 coffee via coffee.com. Uh, Much love to Anchor. You can now support us monetarily by setting up a monthly donation at anchor.fm slash 699 per pound slash support. Yeah. Again, if you can't find a URL, make sure you Google it. You know what I'm saying? Google (laughs) it, man. Use Google. With that said, uh, uh, much love to everybody. I hope everybody is safe. Um, This COVID-19 situation is getting uh, very serious out here. Um, You know We're hearing um people literally getting affected by this mm-hmm. um not mm-hmm. only infected but having family members that are um you know dealing with some uh pretty drastic you know situations mm-hmm. right now because yeah. of it so um you know i hope everybody stays safe and healthy and uh, much love on that note signing off peace peace peace, peace. Ay hey yo it's 699 per pound. Podcast.